Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, September 11th. I'm Lorraine Caceres. These are today's headlines. Oregon on fire. Half a million residents told to evacuate there as massive blazes burn across a number of western states. With the pandemic raging and more than 190,000 Americans now dead, President Trump pushing ahead with a rally in Michigan. This just days after it was revealed the president knew the severity of what was to come as far as back as February. And 19 years after a national tragedy, remembering the thousands who lost their lives on September 11th, 2001. A special look back today on U News. We begin today with those deadly wildfires raging up and down the West Coast. One of those fires, the August Complex Fire, now the largest in California history, scorching some 725,000 acres. In fact, six of the top 20 fires ever in that state happened this year and have already displaced hundreds and thousands of people. Rafael Rodriguez has the very latest. At least 23 dead as wildfires ravage the West Coast. Those fires laying siege to Portland, the city's mayor declaring an emergency and evacuation orders in place in suburbs submerged in that eerie orange glow. Portland with the worst air quality of any major city on earth right now, fire crews pulling out of some areas, the National Guard moving in for assistance. All of Oregon's cities facing that eerie orange sky. Across the state, more than half a million people forced to flee their homes. Southeast of Salem, Chris Tofty frantically tried to reach his family during the evacuation. I drove through some pretty big flames, like for, I was in the flames, like engulfed in my car. I can't believe the tires didn't pop or something, you know. But he soon learned teams found the bodies of his 12-year-old son Wyatt and Wyatt's grandmother Peggy. They died together. The fires in the Medford area destroyed about 600 homes. There's regions of the state who are not getting any assistance from um, because there's just no, there's nobody out there. In California, over 3 million acres have burned so far. A single fire, the Bear Fire, about the size of Rhode Island. Is this your parents' home? Yeah. Is there an A-frame house to the left? Shaughnessy Early seeing the devastation at her parents' home in this FaceTime call. I can't believe you're there. Can you show me again, please? Shaughnessy at first fearing the worst, but her parents were later found safe, staying at a casino. In Washington, fire claiming the life of a one-year-old boy and badly burning his parents. 600,000 acres have burned the past three days alone. That's more than any other year except for 2015. The town of Malden destroyed. The governor saying the culprit is climate change. We talk about this as a wildfire. I think we have to start thinking they're more climate fires. They're climate fires because that's what creates the conditions that makes them so explosive. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And a grim new tally for Oregon as firefighters continue to battle the blazes there. Oregon's governor, Kate Brown, says in the last 10 years, her state has seen wildfires burn an average of 500,000 acres in an entire year. But Oregon has now seen nearly double that in just the last three days. As of Thursday, officials say 1 million acres have now burned in that state. 
And satellite images are capturing the widespread devastation of the wildfires in the West. Images from National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration show smoke continues to blanket the area. Officials say the air quality remains moderate to hazardous across the entire West Coast. And joining me now is Dr. Kim Cobb. She's a professor of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at Georgia Institute of Technology. Thanks for he being here, Dr. Cobb. Hundreds of thousands of people have been forced to leave their homes, rolling out blackouts, and at least 20 people have died. What role is climate change playing in what we're seeing right now? Well, unfortunately, the link to climate change could not be any more clear at this moment. And these wildfires have been coming year after year after year for some time now, and unfortunately, they're going to get worse. One of the main links to climate change is through warmer temperatures. We saw the whole West Coast suffering through record-breaking temperatures in the weeks leading up to these fires, but it's also wintertime temperatures, which are leading to smaller snowpacks with earlier melts, uh, leaving soils and vegetation parched into the spring, extending that fire season. Uh, we in forests, of course, more susceptible to bark beetle devastation, leaving a standing crop of available fuel as well. So all of that means that when there are conditions for fire, they're going to burn faster and cover much more areas. And of course, that translates into the kind of destruction and horrific images we're seeing out of the West Coast today. And Professor, what about the ripple effects of these wildfires, for example, on water and air quality? Yes, I mean, obviously what we're grappling with right now are really life and death scenarios that people are facing. And there's these horrible tallies coming out of loss of life, loss of property, lives upended. It's truly horrific. But immediately beyond this, of course, uh, the entire West Coast is suffering through horrendous and very dangerous air quality impacts, uh, lasting impacts on water quality. We we have habitat destruction, ecosystem destruction that will touch the lives of many of those who depend economically on those resources across the West Coast. And then, of course, we cannot ignore the fact that all of these wildfires across the West Coast and beyond Australia before this, the Amazon every year now, are pumping carbon stores into the atmosphere. They're going to exacerbate this problem going forward, leading to more warming and in turn, of course, worsening uh, climate change impacts. Dr. Cobb, give us an insight into what can we expect in the coming years? How bad are these natural disasters going to get? Well, unfortunately, the science is very clear on that point as well. Uh, we know that the uh, land areas will continue to warm in concert with rising global temperatures over the next decades. Uh, that's a veritable uncertainty. And we have also reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, showing us that the impacts on uh, wildfires, water scarcity, food supplies will indeed worsen over the coming decades as climate change marches forward. Forward. So as grim as these images are, uh, we have had to get used to them every year now, and we have to challenge our imagination to understand what we face if we do not take the opportunity right now to uh, really support leadership that will make the kinds of policies that will help keep people and property and livelihoods safe over the next decades to come. And staying on that about preparation, how prepared is the U.S. to face growing climate change catastrophes? 
Well, unfortunately, we have not done our jobs to prepare over the last decade or two when the science has clearly warned that these kinds of impacts will be on our doorstep, and here they are. So we lost some real opportunities, but we really have available science to inform the best policies to keep people safe today from the impacts that are already upon our doorstep and hard to avoid, as well as really economically beneficial policies to ramp down our dependence on fossil fuels and the greenhouse gases that they emit towards a just and low carbon transition. Many states have shown us the way across the country, providing examples of how it can be done. And now we need to elect the kind of leadership that will help us implement these policies at the national scale. Thank you so much for your insight and your time, Dr. Kim Cobb, professor at Georgia Tech. Thanks for having me. Now to the latest on the pandemic here in the U.S. Dr. Burks of the White House Coronavirus Task Force is urging people who did not social distance during the holiday weekend to get tested for COVID-19. This as Dr. Fauci warns Americans to get ready for difficult months ahead and the CDC makes another grim prediction. Here's the very latest. The CDC now projecting 217,000 deaths by the beginning of October. That's at least another 25,000 people dying in the U.S. in the next three weeks. This as the agency announces it's adding a new way of reporting deaths, calculating fatality ratio by age, making people 70 and over five times more likely to die of COVID-19. This couple in North Carolina in their late 60s losing their battle after presenting symptoms for a month. The next day, they put them in the same room, uh, same ICU room, put their hands together. The nurses gathered around, and um, they they passed within four minutes of a within four minutes of each other. Dr. Anthony Fauci warning Americans to prepare for the virus to get worse in the coming months. I just think we need to hunker down and get through this fall and winter because it's not going to be easy. We know every time we restrict, we lift restrictions, we get a blip. I mean, it's getting, it's whack-a-mole. Meanwhile, Dr. Deborah Burke saying people who relax social distancing during the Labor Day weekend should get tested for the virus to avoid further community spread. On the vaccine front, with phase three trials of AstraZeneca on hold, experts now looking at other vaccine candidates. We have now six vaccines that are either already in phase three trials or will be quite soon. Each of those requiring 30,000 participants to be sure we have enough evidence to decide about safety and efficacy. And it is moving forward at a pace that the world has never seen, but I will say not in a fashion that allows cutting corners with safety. I want to make that really clear. And as states reopen, a new CDC study revealing that adults who tested positive for COVID-19 were twice as likely to have reported eating at a restaurant within 14 days of getting sick compared to those who tested negative. And a new poll paints a bleak picture of Americans' views towards the coronavirus pandemic. The poll from the nonpartisan Kaiser Family, Family Foundation found that the public's trust in the CDC and the U.S.'s top doctors, like Anthony Fauci, is rapidly dropping, particularly among Republicans. It also finds that a sizable percentage of Americans still hold a number of incorrect beliefs about the pandemic. The poll provides a striking glimpse into how the U.S. government's chaotic response 
response to the coronavirus pandemic is sowing distrust among both Republicans and Democrats. And it also reveals growing partisan divides about reliable sources of health information. Now to the race for the White House. President Trump defending his comments after that explosive recording from Bob Woodward where he admits he intentionally downplaying, downplayed the coronavirus risk even though he knew it was a deadly threat. The president making his case at a crowded rally in Michigan last night. Andrea Linares has more. President Trump speaking to a jam-packed gathering of supporters in the key battleground state of Michigan. There was no social distancing and many with no masks. I'm not afraid. The good Lord takes care of me. If I die, I die. We got to get this country moving. The director of the National Institutes of Health says he's concerned by the lack of masks and social distancing at the event. If something that is so straightforward can somehow get twisted into decision-making that really makes no sense. So I'm, as a scientist, I'm pretty puzzled and uh, rather disheartened. However, the president again told supporters the days of the coronavirus are coming to an end. But the president is still facing backlash for privately telling veteran journalist Bob Woodward the virus was more deadly than the flu. However, publicly downplaying its severity, telling Woodward in March. I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden not holding back and launching a scathing attack against Trump during an exclusive interview with CNN. It was all about making sure the stock market didn't come down, that his wealthy friends didn't lose any money, and that he could say that, in fact, anything that happened had nothing to do with him. The president passing on blame. If Bob Woodward thought what I said was bad, then he should have immediately, right after I said it, gone out to the authorities so they can prepare and let him know. Meantime, while campaigning in Florida, Kamala Harris criticizing Trump and his actions. He knew the facts of it. Five percent. Potential lethality. He narrated all that in that conversation. In February and January, he had all this information, yet he held rallies. He suggested that to wear a mask is a sign of weakness as opposed to a sign of strength. This is the president of the United States. Journalist Bob Woodward spoke to 60 Minutes on CBS in what was his first interview about his new Trump book. Woodward said that the president's failure to tell the public how deadly he believed the coronavirus to be is a tragedy and added that it's the president's duty to warn the American people. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Welcome back to U News. A federal court blocked the Trump administration from excluding undocumented people in the country from being counted in the census. Opponents say the move was meant to suppress the growing political power of the Latino community. Edwin PD has the details from Washington, D.C. That's right, Lorraine. It was a panel of three federal judges in New York who blocked President Trump from excluding undocumented immigrants from the census for the purpose of congressional reapportionment. The ruling says that excluding undocumented immigrants both goes against the 14th Amendment and also the federal law. 
Many organizations are happy with this decision as it will block President Trump's intentions of eliminating seats in Congress from cities with a high population of undocumented immigrants. We had the chance to talk to Lisette Escobedo, director of National Census Program at Naleo, and this is what she said. The decision by the federal courts yesterday is a small victory in a larger battle to preserve the integrity and the nonpartisanship of the 2020 census. It reaffirms what the Constitution already tells us, which is that every whole person must be counted. Immigrants and undocumented immigrants will not remain in the shadows, um, especially during a count that determines political representation and determines resources for our community. Now, many organizations continue to criticize President Trump's intentions because excluding undocumented immigrants from the census is going to be a, a, an issue because that's going to benefit Republicans at the, in the long term in the election. That is why many groups such as the American Civil Liberties Union, who filed the uh, initial lawsuit, issued the following statement saying, this is a huge victory for voting rights and for immigrants' rights. President Trump has tried and failed yet again to weaponize the census against immigrant communities. The law is clear. Every person counts in the census. So, Lorraine, I can tell you right now that the ACLU are saying that they will continue to monitor any movement from this administration regarding the census. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Hundreds gathered in Rochester Thursday night to celebrate the life of Daniel Prude, a black man who died in police custody in March. Organizers say the celebration was an opportunity to reflect on Prude's life after days of protests demanding justice for his death. They enjoyed food, music and dancing while chanting for justice. Several spoke at the event, including Prude's brother, who talked about Prude's strength as a black man standing up against injustice. He says he is amazed at what the community has done for his family and it's hopeful they can keep it going. Meanwhile, in Houston, the police department has released video of the death of Nicholas Chavez. The man was shot 21 times by four officers back in the spring. Pedro Rojas has more on the case from Texas. No shooting. Calm down. The Houston Police Department made public the body cam videos in which four officers shot Nicolás Chávez 21 times, taking his life in April. The release of the footage was preceded by the announcement of the firing of the four officers. Police Chief R. Acevedo justified his decision. Mr. Chávez was at his greatest level of incapacitation. He had been shot more than once. He had been... Uh, there had been additional five cartridges of uh, tasing, tasers discharged at him. The video lasted several minutes and eventually gets to the deadly conclusion. Man, don't move. Hey, fuck you. Calm down. Get back. Get back. 
Get down. Get down. The police chief was emphatic in stating that what happened in the final minutes of the video caused him to order the firing of the officers. It's inexplicable to me when they had plenty of opportunity to back up and continue to be doing what they were doing for them to stay the line and shoot a man 21 times. I cannot defend that. The Leaders of the local police union expressed opposition Garcia. to the firings Caring and argued that the shooting was justified. However, experts and activists have disagreed. It was an execution what Nicolas Chavez experienced. From my perspective, I never seen something like this from the Houston Police Department, Attorney Tom Berg says. We now ask on all the different authorities to bring these four officers to justice so that the Chavez family can get the justice that they deserve. With an emotional statement, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner said that he regrets what happened to Nicolas Chavez and supports the actions carried out by the police chief. Houston Police Chief says that he has turned all the documents of this investigation to the Attorney District's office in Harris County in Houston, and that will be the entity that will be issuing the criminal charges. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. Up next on U News, unrest in Colombia's capital after a man dies in police custody. And at Lookout, how remittances from families in the U.S. are providing an economic lifeline to those in Latin America struggling with the pandemic. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.